0: Welcome to the AFP Congress Preview Podcast. I'm Connor Vincent. Congress is Canada's largest fundraising conference where sector professionals share knowledge and experience. Delivered virtually, this year's Congress celebrates the human connections that allow us to thrive in our work. A quick plug for our sponsor, and then I'll introduce today's guests. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of KCK Global, Canada's largest fulfillment company. Check them out today at kckglobal.com. So our first guest is Tanya Rumble. Tanya Rumble is a fundraising leader who has raised millions for some of Canada's largest charities including Heart and Stroke Foundation, the Canadian Cancer Society, McMaster University and now Ryerson University. As a racialized philanthropy professional, Tanya is honoured to share her influence and insights with students, emerging professionals and peers in the sector. Welcome Tanya. Tanya. Our second guest is Nicole McVan. Nicole is a nonprofit leader with 20 years of experience in Canada and abroad. Their experience spans many areas, including corporate philanthropy, individual and community based giving, board and volunteer development, national event management, and alumni giving. Nicole uses an anti oppressive lens in building philanthropy and marketing plans to work with and for communities. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your session, Nicole. Now to start off, I would invite you both to each share how your session fits our Congress theme this year, Connected We Thrive.
1: Well, first off, thanks, Connor, for inviting Nicole and I to share a little bit about the two sessions that we're leading at AFP Congress 2021. We're really excited to have an opportunity to connect with our peers. And in the absence of in-person meetings, I think virtual is the best opportunity to talk about some of the the big themes that are coming up in our sector. Um, Connected We Thrive really, I think, resonates for our conversation that we're gonna be convening with three panelists around creating inclusive teams. There's a lot of talk in our sector about wanting to have diverse donors, wanting to galvanize support from racialized communities, marginalized communities, queer communities and other groups that are not well represented in our donor uh, communities. I think we have to first also look at home and look at our organizations. Do we create cultures that support racialized, queer, disabled Muslim fundraisers to thrive and succeed in our organizations? Because if we want to attract donors with these lived experiences and intersectional identities, I think it's also important that we think about how do we do that for our teams? And there's often a conversation about Um, there's a dearth of diverse fundraisers in our sector. And I think we would challenge that notion. There isn't a dearth of diverse fundraisers. I think that the pipeline gets severed. And so we really need to connect and build community so people can be supported and they don't leave our sector um, because we want that lived experience. We want those insights, but we actually need to make sure our organizations are ready to support people to bring that insight and that lived experience to work. So we can't connect or thrive If we don't acknowledge some of the challenges in our sector. And so we take a very positive viewpoint that there is an opportunity to do things differently and better. And there are amazing people with amazing skills and experiences to offer our sector. But I think a lot of them don't feel always the most supported in our organizations because they feel like they need to uphold donor centricity overall they don't feel like they can share their their lived experience or their intersectional identity without fear of reprisal, both from colleagues board members volunteers and donors and so how do we do this and create equitable teams teams where safety and bravery are core values not just sort of leadership and hitting fundraising goals we need to think about all the things that make a fundraising team great and a fundraising organization thrive
0: Thank you so much. Um, I'd invite Nicole to speak to that as well.
2: Thanks so much Connor Uh, and thank you Kenya because I think the session around inclusive teams uh, nests perfectly into the other session we're running which is the five fallacies of fundraising. A little bit of alliteration there for you folks Um, and really this is is a build on inclusive teams and it's the challenge of the status quo Um, We would say that the way that we're doing philanthropy right now is problematic and flawed. We're not in real relationship very often with our donors. Uh, Oftentimes we're holding them at arm's length, sometimes on a pedestal. Uh, We don't challenge the power and balance and the dynamics at play. And so this conversation is around looking at some of these best practices in air quotes that we've grown up with uh, in philanthropy over the last 20 to 30 years uh, and questioning them and saying, if we want to transform the way that we do philanthropy to be more equitable, to be more with community, to be more centered, Uh, We have to challenge some of these best practices. Oftentimes, we've grabbed them from the for-profit world and say we're different and we need to do things differently. And often what we do is affected by how we do it. And so the focus of this second session is to challenge those norms uh, and to be brave enough to dare to think about a completely different way, a transformative way to do philanthropy that is in relationship. And so as we talk about connected, we thrive. Uh, It's about the real relationships that we can create with our donors, our volunteers and the communities we're working with and for uh, and really push forward a new agenda uh, around how we do this.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Tanya, you were leading creating inclusive teams based on safety and equity. Can you speak a little bit more about what your session will be about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have three incredible panelists that will be joining Nicole and I to have a really holistic conversation about what creating inclusive teams looks like. So we have uh, Dominia, who is a senior fundraiser based out of the UK, so she'll be bringing a really unique perspective um, about how things are a little bit different in, in Europe and in that context. Then we will also have Paul Nazareth, who many folks know in our sector, who is Vice President of Education with the Canadian Association for Gift Planners. And then we have Lindsay Sweeney, who is the Director of Development for the North York Women's Shelter, an anti-violence women's empowerment organization in Toronto. So I think we're going to have really, really unique perspectives that all three panelists are going to bring, and we're going to be talking not only about some of the anecdotes and experiences that the three of them and Nicole and I have had in fundraising and how that's informed our careers and, and sort of mobilized us to be the kind of activist fundraisers that we are today, but we'll be talking about some of the tangible strategies that folks can use beyond putting boilerplate language on job description saying uh, our organization is looking looking for diverse fundraisers and diverse experience what can you do beyond that that's often where folks start the conversation about inclusivity and diversity on teams and fundraising but it doesn't often go past that so great you've you've let people know you're looking for diverse fundraisers have you told them what you have done as an organization to look at your oppressive practices that may be in place, how you can actually support those fundraisers when they join your organization. How do you recruit them in a way that really centers their lived experience and make sure that they don't they're not harmed in the process? And then once they've joined your team, are there opportunities for advancement? And advancement doesn't always look like laddering up in a hierarchy, but is there greater opportunities for autonomy, for general leadership? And I use the small l leadership um, because there's servant leadership and there's positional leadership, and not everyone ascribes to being a positional leader. What else can you do to actually ensure that you maintain and support folks who do have these interesting and the lived experience that we're all looking for? How do you actually allow them to to bring that to bear in their work? How does that... How do you ensure they don't get tokenized as the black fundraiser that works with the black community to raise money, or the Muslim fundraiser that works on Ramadan uh, fundraising. Um, So we want to really ensure that we talk holistically about some of the things that we've seen that don't work so well and tangible strategies that organizations and that we have actually personally all been involved with that do work to ensure that you actually have inclusive and sustainable fundraising teams.
0: Thank you, Tanya. Sounds like a very important topic to discuss right now. Um, Now, Nicole, you are presenting five fallacies of fundraising that limit authentic donor relationships. Can you speak to a little bit more about what your session is about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start the session with a little bit of an origin story. Just like all great Marvel comic books and movies, the origin story is really essential in understanding the plot. And when we look at philanthropy, we have to understand where philanthropy came from to understand the issues with it and the opportunities with it. So we're gonna talk about some of the problematic foundations it's built on, like stolen land and labor, like donor saviorism, and like the saviorism that many folks in the nonprofit uh, industry have. Uh, So we're gonna untangle some of those pieces. And ideally we're gonna get a little bit uncomfortable with that uh, because that's how the real growth happens. And then we're going to look at these five fallacies, these harmful best practices, and we're going to take a deeper dive on this to look at what exactly is this, why is it harmful, both for ourselves and the industry and also for our donors and our stakeholders, what we can tangibly do about it, and what does change look like? And so imagining a world in which we've done this, what does that look like? And the whole premise of this session is to look at these pieces, to break them down into parts so we can think about a different way of working and being more connected to our donors and actually driving this work for real change. So we're really excited to frame this out in a way that we think will be clear for folks and people also come away with some tangible things that they can do regardless of their positionality within an organization or what charity they work for.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Really looking forward to tuning into your session for sure. Thank you, Tanya and Nicole. So this past year and a half, almost two years, has been challenging to say the least. What is one lesson you've both learned?
2: Tanya? Yeah, I'll go first. This Nicole here. I think that the biggest lesson I have learned uh, as a white person, as a settler, as someone who's able-bodied uh, with you know quite a bit of structural advantage, but somebody who's also non-binary and transgender and a fundraiser and cares about this, is that I need to come at this work from a place of action and not at a place of shame or guilt. And often for white folks, we come to this conversation around equity and transformation from a place of fragility and guilt. And that will make us lose momentum really quickly. The only way we can sustain action is to come at a place that is centered around how can I be a catalyst in this moment? And that's really critical. And that's how our sessions are built is looking at what we can do and how we drive this forward in a way where in 5, 10, 20 years, we're still working through this because this work will never end. And to me, that's very exciting. Thank you, Nicole. I
1: think that for a long time I hid my intersectionality, I hid my lived experience, I didn't really see how it would actually benefit me at work, and I actually don't think I was wrong in that assumption, I think it would have harmed me in my work, Um, but now I found myself connected with incredible fundraisers that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise, and a whole community of folks that are really passionately interested in anti-oppressive practices and fundraising and philanthropy that give me so much energy and support to work through these challenging conversations and more importantly than the conversations the challenging interactions and change that we need to like create in our organizations and in our sector so I don't think that if I hadn't leaned into this work and leaned into my lived experience that I would have found this community of incredible support And I think that I also see that the more that I center my lived experience and lean into my authentic self and bring my whole self into my work, that I'm finding myself more deeply aligned with the work that I do. And I'm really pleased to be working at an institution where that was a really strong reason I was recruited, was because of my social justice orientation and the values that I espouse and live. So I think that it's taught me that like, bringing your authentic self will bear great, great rewards. And if you lose folks along the way, then they probably weren't meant to be on that journey with you.
0: Thank you. So we're almost out of time. So Tanya, I wanted to ask you what you're most looking forward to at Congress this year.
1: I'm most excited to hear Edgar Villanueva speak. He's become such a cogent and important voice of change in the fundraising and philanthropy sector. And I couldn't be more excited that we'll have an opportunity to hear from him and to think about how his words and the message and change that he's striving for and actually creating across Turtle Island can be a call to action for those that are members of AFP Toronto chapter and think about how we can bring some of that to bear in this context, and this work that we're doing, because we are the biggest AFP chapter in the world and we have an opportunity to be leaders in this work.
0: Thank you. So, Nicole, what is one tip you'd like to give Congress goers? I think centering the same theme we have right now is
2: about real relationships so there's lots of great session, lots of great content. We know that when you're passively engaging with the content, you can only take so much in. So I think the real, you know, the, the tip I have for folks is to find, find some folks within the Congress that you want to connect with. And create a relationship with and whether that's before so you can connect during or as you're going to these sessions you can connect after that's what really makes these these conferences terrific is the relationships you can build out of them so i'd encourage folks to take that extra step to reach out to people
0: thank you nicole that's really important thank you both so much for being here we really appreciate the time you took out of your schedules to chat with us today and we're very excited to hear your sessions at congress this year be sure to register early for November 22nd to 24th. You can visit afptoronto.org congress to register. To learn more about Congress 2021, email us at events at afptoronto.org. To learn about AFP, visit afpglobal.com. Please subscribe. Upcoming podcasts will introduce you to more engaging speakers and more exciting topics. Thanks again to our podcast sponsor, KCK Global. Check them out for all your fulfillment needs at kckglobal.com. I'm Connor Vincent, and thank you for listening, and I hope to connect with you at Congress.